0: it has been a busy good weekend here at McDermott Road yesterday was fantastic the road family ministry or the road family conference uh, was just wonderful. And I so appreciate our family ministry team, all of you who volunteered, all of you who attended. um, Eric mentioned, I think it was uh, Dr. Best's class uh, on uh, Revelation on spiritual warfare and parenting, and I so appreciate him and all the teachers and speakers that we had this weekend. It was just wonderful. So if you weren't here this weekend for the conference, I'm saying all of this for multiple reasons, but one of them is make plans to be here next year, okay? Uh, Make plans to be here because it's one of my favorite things that we do all year. And if you weren't here, uh, we will make those recordings available on the website here very soon so you can uh, listen to that and be blessed by the the lessons that we heard yesterday. As always, I don't know if I said it yet or not, but I love you. I love this church family so very much. I, I plan out my sermons before the year begins, I plan out the series before the year begins, and last year I planned this series. I didn't realize that the graphics would make me so hungry, but um, <laughs> I was looking forward to it from the moment that I planned it, because I knew that this year was, was going to be a lot of kind of heavy lessons. We mentioned that last week, that, that every week somebody tells me, you stepped on my toes this week, preacher, and, and I know that we've, we've, really, we've really convicted ourselves this year because we've been focused on reflecting on our lives, doing that introspection, self-examination, thinking about where am I falling short? What do I need to do better? Um, And so I was really looking forward to this comfort food series and we think about that idea comfort food we recognize that some food not only has nutritional value it has emotional value you know what i mean and and we've got thanksgiving coming up and this is my favorite i know there are other holidays that i should say are my favorite because they're more religious or whatever and 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 you say well you i'm sure you like thanksgiving because your gratitude and thanksgiving and it's like yeah, it's that, but it's really the food. I mean, I love the food, you know? And I mean, and there are certain there are certain dishes that I have to have. I mean, if you have ham at your Thanksgiving, that's fine, you do you, right? If you have fish, wonderful, that's that's fine. But at my Thanksgiving, there's gotta be turkey, you know? I mean, there are certain things that have, I've got this marshmallow salad my mama used to make me, and it's not just about the nutritional value, it's about the emotional value, because comfort food, has a way of making us feel safe, content, happy, grateful, doesn't it? There's certain foods that we eat and it brings back a rush of memories and it it reassures us and it has deep emotional value. But the same thing is true of feasting on the good news, that it can make us feel safe and content and happy and grateful. But, But this last thing, feasting on the good news of Jesus... It can also make us feel energized. That's the one thing about Thanksgiving dinner. When I'm done eating Thanksgiving dinner, I don't really feel energized. But, But when you feast on the good news, it not only has nutritional value, it has emotional value. And sometimes we don't connect with the gospel on an emotional level the way that we should. We should leave here, not just today, but I hope we leave here every week feeling safe and content and happy and grateful and energized, energized, ready to go out and do what we need to do and be who we need to be as we reflect on our lives and we reflect and we realize there are things that I'm not doing that I should be doing and there are things I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. Instead of going from here feeling guilty and discouraged We should go from here here feeling energized, ready for that renewal, ready to change. But I'm afraid that sometimes, both in our personal lives and even in our congregational lives, we don't feast on the good news the way that we should. We don't soak it in the way that we should. We don't believe it the way that we should. Spiritually, you have to feast if you want to function, right? Spiritually, you have to feast If you want to function, if you want to be able to do what you're called to do, be who you're called to be, you have to feast on the good news first. See, I think that's where we go wrong sometimes. We've got a lot of malnourished Christians, starving Christians. Spiritually speaking, you can see our ribs. We haven't feasted on the good news, and yet we desire to to do good things and be good people, and work hard, and try hard, and do better, and don't do this, and don't do that. But we haven't feasted, and so we can't function. We're tired, worn out, we're discouraged. We feel like the more that we try to be who we're called to be, and do what we're called to do, the more we fall short. And then, like we talked about last week, we get stuck in that cycle of guilt and shame. One of the problems is that we haven't feasted the way that we're supposed to feast. We haven't soaked it in. In fact, sometimes you can tell, you can tell who's been feasting on the good news. Because when, you, when you've been feasting on the good news, you praise different. You pray different. You talk different. You live different. You can function when you've been feasting. But when you haven't been feasting, you can't function. Everything's harder. You try to do even a little bit of good, and you just don't have the energy to do it. But when you've been feasting on the good news, not only do you feel good, you feel filled with joy and with peace and with reassurance, but you're energized. To go out and to be who you're called to be because you know that it's not just you working out your salvation, trying to live out your salvation, but it's God who's at work within you. And you know that that's true when you've been feasting on this good news. So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the first three chapters of Ephesians because here's what Paul does. Paul lays out this banquet table for us. I mean, just imagine the best Thanksgiving dinner you've ever been to and then multiply that times infinity. I I know that's probably not possible, but you you multiply that. There's this banquet table that's laid out in front of you. And before Paul gets into chapter 4 and following about what you should do, he lays out this banquet, this feast, and encourages his readers, feast on this. Feast on this. Before I tell you the therefore, how you should live, Feast on this, and I want us to feast on this for the next few weeks. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus who are, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, or in some manuscripts at least we have the word Ephesus or the name of Ephesus attached to it, he probably intended it, like the letter to the Colossians, to be a a rotating letter that other people read. Because this is true not just for the Christians in Ephesus, it's true for you. It's true for us. And we have to feast on these truths as well this this section of scripture that we're going to read this morning is is kind of they say in greek it's just kind of this one long run-on sentence it's just this kind of outpouring of praise and paul is just bursting out in praise for god and he's laying it all out there for us and and i just kind of want to be the guy that shows you to your table and and points out a few things and said try you got to try that that's so good. Try that. Don't, don't leave until you try some of that. you got to have some of this. And I just want to point out to you this rich feast that's been set out in front of you. Because if you've reflected on your life this year and you realize, like me, that you've fallen short and you want to do better, then you have to feast if you want to function. If you want to function as a Christian, you have to feast first. So listen to what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. Now he used this phrase in Christ over and over again or in him, in Christ. What's he saying? He's saying because of Christ. Who's Christ? Jesus. But but Christ is a, is a title, right? It's not his last name. Christ means the anointed one. The anointed king. God's anointed king. Jesus is Lord. He's the anointed king that God has anointed him to bring the blessings to us. In him, because of him, because of King Jesus, through King Jesus, to all those who belong to King Jesus, all those who are under his care and protection, He has blessed all of you who are under the care and protection of King Jesus because of him, through him, to all who belong to him with every spiritual blessing. That next phrase, in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In other words, he has blessed us, the Father has blessed us in the Son with everything the Spirit has to offer That's good news, isn't it? That's good news that God the Father has blessed us in the Son, because of the Son, through the Son, with every spiritual blessing, with everything the Spirit has to offer, with all of the blessings that the Spirit has to give, they are yours in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been baptized into Jesus, if you are under his care and protection, then God the Father has blessed you because of your relationship to the Son. He has blessed you with everything the Holy Spirit has to offer. It's yours. It's yours. I don't know what else is going on in your life, but you need to know this. I don't know how you're hurting or what you're worried about or what you're afraid of, but if you're in Christ, then everything the Spirit of God has to offer belongs to you, belongs to us. He says, in the heavenly places, as opposed to in the earthly places. You have the seen places the seen things, and then you have the unseen places, the unseen things. Now, in the seen places, you may look at your life and you say, I'm not very blessed. You may look at your car, you may look at your clothes, you may look at your house, you may look at your bank account, you may look at your health, and you may say, I'm poor, I'm hurting, I'm sick. I I don't have all of these things. Well, the gospel is not just about what you can see But what you can't see, it's about realizing that you are blessed with blessings that you can't lay your eyes on yet. One day you will. But right now, it's in the heavenly places. One day, what's in the heavenly places will be revealed, will appear. But right now, it's in the heavenly places. And in the heavenly places, you, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have been blessed with everything the Spirit of God has to offer in the heavenly places where God reigns, where Jesus sits at his right hand, where all things are what God wants them to be, you belong to him. No, it doesn't always look that way. No, it doesn't always feel that way. No, it doesn't always seem that way. But Paul wants his readers to know that in spite of the way things look for you right now, If you belong to Jesus, then every spiritual blessing belongs to you. Verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Translators have a hard time figuring out where that in love goes. We'll get to that in a second. But he says, even as he chose us in him, he chose us. Us in Him. I think sometimes we get really individualistic with this, and we get really uh, focused on ourselves. But He chose everyone who is in Jesus. He said someday, before the foundation of the world, He said someday, I'm going to gather together a multi-ethnic, multinational, multilingual family. And I'm going to bless them with everything I have to offer. They are going to be my people. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. That was God's plan. And guess what? You and I were part of that plan. We are God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people in the Messiah, in Christ in him, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, in love may refer to in love, God chose us, or maybe it refers to the next phrase in verse five, or, or maybe it's how we stand before him. And a lot of times when we come to one of those, is it this or this or this? What's the answer I sometimes like? Yes, right, <laughs> yes. So all of those things are true. In love, he chose us, and we stand before him in love. In love for him, in love for one another. He loved us, and we love him, and we love each other because he first loved us. And then it says in verse five, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. <laughs> we could just hang out in just one verse all day long. Somebody told me I had an extra hour today to preach. Is that, <laughs> is that how that worked? I didn't know if that was how that worked or not. But he he. Thank you, Reggie. Uh, he. <laughs> he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Why sons? Does he mean sons and daughters? I mean, yes, he means men and women. But he means whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, regardless of your gender, regardless of your ethnicity, if you are in Jesus, you have been adopted as sons, meaning you have been made full legal heirs full legal heirs. Everything that belongs to Jesus, everything that belongs to him because of who he is, belongs to you because of who he is, because of what he's done. It belongs to you by grace. He chose us, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slaves and free, all of us who are in Christ Jesus and said, I'm going to adopt them as my children. And I'm going to make them full legal heirs so that everything that is mine is theirs. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them so much they can't even wrap their mind around my love for them. This was God's predetermined plan. This is how blessed you are. I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know it doesn't always seem that way. I know it doesn't always look that way. But whether it looks that way or not, you are that blessed because of who God is. And what he chose to do before the world was even created, he chose to adopt us as sons. Now, why? He says, that we might praise his glorious grace. That we might praise his glorious grace. That he would adopt us as his children so that we would praise him see what paul is doing right here in these verses this just outburst of praise is the natural response to realizing you are that blessed that's one of the ways you know that you know you are that blessed that's one of the ways you know that you feel it deep down in your bones is if you can't help but praise his glorious grace to say like, what What a king he is. What a God he is. That he's blessed me like this. That he chose us like this. That he's done all of this to make us his family. If you can't help but praise him, that's when you're starting to really get it. And some of us don't praise him like that. Because we don't realize and recognize how blessed we really are. That we were nobody's. And now, the creator of the universe is our Father. We're His adopted kids. Everything that is His is ours. Because He loves us. He says in verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Redemption. I love that word. In the Old Testament, redemption would happen when, typically when somebody got really poor. And they got so poor that either they had to sell off their their land of inheritance, sometimes that happened, the land that was passed down generation after generation that they were stewards of, from their great, 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 great grandparents that God had made that tribe and that family a steward of this land. Sometimes somebody got so poor that they had to sell off a portion of their inherited land. Can you imagine how bad that would hurt? Or what was worse, sometimes they got so poor they had to sell themselves as a slave. And now they belong to someone else because they fell into poverty. And what was supposed to happen was a relative had an obligation to come along, and if it was the land that needed to be bought back, that relative would reach into his own pocket and would purchase that land and give it back to the relative who fell into poverty. Or if his relative fell into slavery, he would buy his relative back so that he could be free again. That's redemption. That's what a redeemer does. A redeemer acts like a relative and restores what has been lost. And Paul says, this is what God in Christ has done for us. He's redeemed us. Because of our sin, we fell into slavery. We lost our inheritance. We became disenfranchised. And Jesus gave his own life to redeem us, to buy back what used to belong to us and to our family, and to restore us to a place of glory and honor. He redeemed us by forgiving us of all of our trespasses. By forgiving us all of our sins, now we're free, and now we're heirs, and now in Christ we can be glorified as his adopted children because our debt has been forgiven. And he uses this phrase, the riches of his grace, the riches of his grace, which he lavished. That's a good word, isn't it? That he lavished upon us. When you lavish someone, you give them an abundance. You know what an abundance is? It's more than they asked for. It's more, really, than they even need. More than they even need. Did you know that? That because of Jesus, the riches of God's grace has been lavished upon you. You have more grace than you need. That's a good word, isn't it? So often we feel like God is stingy with his grace. You don't know our God then. Our God is generous with his grace. He lavishes it upon his people. And if you belong to God because of Jesus, then every spiritual blessing belongs to you and he loves to lavish his grace upon you to change you with his grace, to train you with his grace, to transform you with his grace. The riches of God's grace is yours because of Christ Jesus. It is an abundance, a surplus, more than even we need. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. It's kind of fun to be in on a secret, isn't it? When somebody says, I I have something I've never told anyone before, that's that's an honor, isn't it? When somebody says, I want to tell you something that I've never told anyone before, wow. You feel honored when somebody says that to you. I want to tell you something that, that I've had in my heart for a long time, but I've never disclosed it to anyone. That's what a mystery is. A mystery is a secret that used to be concealed and now it's been revealed. And there's a mystery, and Paul's going to talk about it even further in the book of Ephesians. This mystery is, he says in chapter 3, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is that God had always intended to put together a multi-ethnic, multinational, multilingual family This family of all nations, and to bring them together and bless them in the Messiah, that was always God's plan. And now he's let you in on his secret. He's told us in Christ, I want to tell you something I didn't tell people before. Oh, I hinted at it. Oh, you could see it here and there, but I've never really fully disclosed it. And I want to tell you, I want to make it known to you. Do you see how much He loves you? I want to tell you what I've been planning all along. I want to show you what I've been planning all along. Verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. That was the plan. To unite all things in heaven and on earth. All things on earth and all things in heaven to bring everything together under the Messiah's reign. Everything, everything. All people, all creation. To reconcile everything. Because that's what happened at the fall, isn't it? Things that used to be reconciled, things that used to be at one, things that used to have peace and harmony and work together and function got split apart where there was conflict where there was competition, where they were working against one another, people against people, people against God, creation against people, people against creation. And Paul says it was always God's plan that in the Messiah, he was going to reconcile everything, bring everything in heaven and on earth together. Some of the other translations say it like this, This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Or his plan to place everything in heaven and on earth under the Messiah's headship. Or he planned that all things in heaven and on earth be joined together with Christ as the head. That was always God's plan. And you see, not only has he let you in on that secret, he's already begun to bring to fruition that plan in you, in us. You, You see us? We're sitting on the other side of the world from where this story started. At peace with one another, reconciled to one another, family with one another, at peace with one another, and at peace with God, and someday God will be all in all. And all things will be brought into unity under Christ as the head. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of will his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There's that phrase again, to the praise of his glory. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We don't normally talk like that, but we have an inheritance in Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have an inheritance. What's our inheritance? The kingdom of God. The kingdom is our inheritance. A new world in which God reigns supreme. A new world in which righteousness reigns. A new world in which there's no sin or death. A world where we are restored, where we are restored, where we are glorified to reign with him forever. That's our inheritance. And you can forfeit your inheritance if you want. But I don't have any plans on doing that. How about you? I want my inheritance. I want what belongs to me because of what Jesus has done for me. And he's not talking about when you die. He's talking about when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, then you will, then you will see what's been hidden in the heavenly places. When Jesus comes, you'll see your inheritance. When Jesus comes, you'll receive your inheritance. He goes on, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. You know what that word means? It means the first installment, the down payment, the down payment. Someday you're going to inherit and see everything that God has and it will be your inheritance. But until then, you've received already the first installment of that inheritance, the down payment on that inheritance, the guarantee of that inheritance, the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, lives in you to seal you. Like, like, you know, in the old days when they would seal an envelope with wax and a signet ring and say, this is who sent this letter. This is who this belongs to. If you're in Christ, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's your guarantee, your down payment, your first installment on what is to come of your inheritance, of the kingdom of God, of the the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. He is your inheritance that what you can see is not all that there is. He is your guarantee that you are blessed with everything the Spirit of God has to offer, even if you can't see it yet, even if some days you don't feel it yet. Even if it doesn't always seem that that's true. Before you function, before you try to do anything for God, you have to believe these truths. And that's my only question for you this morning. Do you actually believe you're this blessed? Do you actually believe that you're this blessed? That you are chosen? That you are adopted, that you are redeemed, that you are forgiven, that you are lavish with grace, that you are promised an inheritance, that you are given the Holy Spirit as a down payment. Do you believe that? Do you believe that not just on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level? Because if you don't, if you don't, it'll be really easy to forfeit it all. To just give it up. To not fight for it to not hold on to it, to not strive towards it, because you don't actually believe that it's yours. And so you just walk away from it. But if you do believe it, if you believe it in your mind and in your heart, if it soaks down in your bones, if you feast upon it, you praise different, you pray different, you love different, you live different. Do you actually believe that you are this blessed? in Christ. Maybe you're not yet. Maybe you're not that blessed because you're not in Christ, but you're ready. You're ready to put Jesus on, to surrender your whole self to him and to receive from him all of these promises, all of these blessings, everything that God has to offer you by grace. If you're ready to make that decision, or maybe you've made that decision and you just need prayers, from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our shepherds would love to meet with you in the prayer room. Or we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song and we're going to invite you to respond to God's invitation as together we stand and sing.